Welcome to Full Stack Business Owner, where we're enhancing your full stack of skills to build wealth inside and outside your business. Today, we are with Aaron Weibrow from Diagnostics and Finance, talking all things that Full Stack Business Owners talk about. Now, if you want to jump in on the conversation, have a chit chat with Aaron, head over to Facebook, join the Full Stack Business Owner owner community Facebook group and ask any questions or dive deeper into any topics you would like to over there. Now, before we get started, let's cue Charlie's infamous disclaimer. Charlie here from Full Stack Business Owner. I need to let you know that Grant, myself and the Full Stack Business Owner team are in no way, shape or form qualified to give you financial advice or pick investment products. We highly encourage you seek out and engage the use of professionals when making financial decisions or comparing investment products. All right, so I'm playing host on today's podcast, and the first thing I have to do is actually disclose that Aaron and uh, Diagnostic Finance are actually a sponsor of the show. So we must admit this is a sponsor. We have to tell everyone because we don't want to get ourselves in trouble with the uh, not. You know, when you go running, Grant, and you wear your ASICs, <laughs> might be something related a, to that. That's a great name, wow. <laughs> great brand name. No comment. No comment. Yeah, I'm swapping to Nike even because of that. The brand crossover. <laughs> Now, this is a bit of a selfish episode uh, for me, I must admit, because um, I've actually been considering some purchases myself. I've been looking at doing some borrowing. I've been looking at making some acquisitions. And in a conversation I had with my buyer's agent, he said something really interesting. And uh, he said to me, you better get your skates on and get a move because if interest rates go up, you may not actually be able to get the borrowing for this. You want to front run this. I'm like, that's a bit ridiculous. And then as I looked into it, it appears there was more to his comment than I actually understood. So I wanted to bring Aaron on the show because I know other people in the community and I know other people uh, just in general network are kind of looking to understand this because, well, we just haven't had rate rises in a very long time. So this is a new environment for many people that are doing borrowing and getting into investing and the impacts of those rate rises, it's like, it's hard to understand. So I'm setting this one up for framing. So Aaron, I'd love to kick over to you now. Before we get into this episode, I've kind of teed it up, but please tell everyone in 30 seconds about your business. And then let's dig into this, how interest rates affect borrowing. So I, I run a mortgage broking firm. Um, we've, got, we've got eight staff, a team of people to be able to be ready to assist with the, the good topic today, the b- borrowing power and how upward interest rate rises affects that. Um, I specialize in m- business owners that need to borrow money and squeeze another um, property out, get some borrowing inside the business if needed, and, and push forward to get those goals that everybody is looking for. And the front runner comment that you mentioned there, Charlie, I don't know anyone that doesn't want to be out front winning the race. Particularly business owners, right? It's not like we're a competitive bunch at all. In their Nikes, not Asics. I'm still going to throw out my shoes later today now that I've thought of it. But anyway, Aaron, let's let's dig into this. And I want to play through the scenario a little bit and then please explain the impacts and let's go through it. Let's say someone had a borrowing capacity at 3% and then the rate goes up to 4%. Let's play that through and talk through the example. Yeah, let's um, let, let's take it. We'll put some we'll put some income around it. We'll put some borrowing power, and then we'll we'll increase the rate from three to four to show you what what can happen to borrowing power. So, let's take a very simple calculation: one hundred and fifty five thousand dollars worth of income, a single person, no other debt, basic living expenses, and a million dollars. 
that that works. A million dollars borrowing power works on a three percent interest rate. Now, if we if we increase the rate by a whole percent, this is where the borrowing power decreases. So the decrease on this scenario has changed to from $1 million to $910,000, which is a $90,000 deduction, or if you want to put it in a percentage, a 9% reduction in borrowing power, which is um, quite, quite significant on a basic, very basic example um, on, on what is happening when rates go up. So All right, I gotta yeah, I'm jumping in on this. Oh, if it goes another percent, I am quick because I <laughs> would like to understand this because well, rates have gone up two percent. Does this happen in a linear way? So for example, if I go up from let's say three percent, we went to four percent in this example. If it went to five percent, do I lose another nine percent? Or does it become like what's an exponential rather than a linear curve as rates go up? Uh, it, it it does have a feel of linear. Um, we, we've had rate rises since May. So we've had a 0 0.2, 0 0.5, 0 0.5, and, and a lot of people uh, are preparing and, and a lot of um, skilled, uh, well, I know in the staff in the office and the brokers in the office, we, we are predict, trying to predict as, as more rate rises to make sure that our customers are comfortable with the borrowing power and the timing around their purchases. Um, it, it, it has... It doesn't really have – well, numerically, it's a linear feel, but people have other debt. People have other things in their lives. They have children. They have partners. They have other debt. They have other properties. They they have different levels of income, and that can change it from linear to that, that magical compounding thing that uh, I know you guys have unpacked a bit in the past um, where it, it could – uh, another rate rise could even be a bit more significant on the reduction of borrowing capacity if you haven't done other things in your business like increase your income. Um, and when we are sitting in September of 2022, uh, there there is this magical thing that's just happened called the 30th of June. We flicked over the financial year. Business owners have an, an ability to go down the path of tax returns and if we can increase the income, that can be one of the, one of the things that could change from a linear or a change massively in borrowing power where we can look at the whole equation. All right. So just to be clear on this, I want to make mm. sure here. So if someone has no other lending and they uh, were looking to get a million dollars and rates go up 1%, they would lose 9% of their borrowing. If it right. went up another 1%, they would lose another 9%. Yep. But if that person already had some other debt, let's say they've got some other properties or other debt on variable rates, what starts to happen is you get a compound effect because your other loans are now being assessed differently. Correct. So you don't get to kind of treat the loan as a standalone, you're being assessed as a group. Yep. Is that a, an accurate yep. uh, kind of sum up? And, and if we want to want to be out in front, the front runners here, is that this is where um, – a skilled mortgage broker comes in to look at the, the the cheat way or the cheat codes to stay out in front to look at other lenders' policies to help maximize borrowing capacity. Well, that was my next point is like, yeah. is this the same for every bank? Like is NAB and CBA or whoever the banks, I'm not going to pick banks, but is like, do they all treat this the same? No. <laughs> um, and and why, why is that? Uh, we need competition in the marketplace. Uh, if the if the major banks have the lion's share of the market for home loan in, and investment loans and, and maybe even business loans, um, how do the non-banks, how do the smaller banks compete? 
Yeah. They, they have to compete on policy, rates. Um, so most of the time in the market, we'll see a lot of the banks competing on price, interest rates, cashbacks, all that sort of stuff. But when we, we um, look under the hood, um, we can see that there are how they treat credit cards or how they treat other lenders' debts or a whole range of other aspects there. And, and there's some really cool examples of the same person having nearly a million dollars difference in borrowing capacity. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? It was one of those epiphanies that I had, which was it kind of unlocked the value of more for mortgage brokers. Because I don't know if you've ever looked at one of these policies before, Charlie. It is dry. <laughs> like these documents are definitely not a page turner where you're like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to read another one. But it's also that these second, third tier lenders, they go in and out. Like they pull in a whole heap of customers immediately and then like, oh cool, now we'll change it again. And then someone else will be like, oh, now I want more customers. <laughs> and I love the fact that you hit on this because uh, one thing I just wanted to poke in and it's self-serving on this one, Aaron, is from that, does it also have an impact if I've got debt in different entities? So I've got properties in trusts, for example. Does that change the assessment or does that just work into the playbook that you've got for saying, hey, now you can do different mechanisms or use different lenders for borrowing? This is a, that's like the most awesome question because I've been dealing with that day in, day out for the last few months. Um, and, and one of the, one of the, um, Examples that I have is a customer that has five properties, wants to go to 10. Um, in the current climate, we, we have been able to find a solution that we can get to that point. But as you, as you un, look under the hood, we've got both personal lending and we've got trust lending. So in the main, a lot of the lenders, like uh, one of our big fours, they will look at absolutely everything and treat the trust as if it was you as a person. So everything puts on the table, every rental income puts on the table, every debt, every everything. And that's typically when we have newer trusts, they don't have any history. The, the trust of that entity doesn't have any history. So it has to rely on the people that own the trust or the directors or the guarantors or the money coming from your personal entity to support and um, kickstart the trust to buy the property at the right loan to value ratio. With With my particular example at the moment is that I've got four properties in personal name, one in a trust. When I've gone to a lender to maximize borrowing capacity and we put the calculations in, I got a great outcome for the borrowing power as a draft. So after I dug through the policy a little bit, we found that we couldn't add the interest expense for the trust into that calculator. So that lender's policy was to rip out the interest add back that we have for investors out of what was in a different entity compared to their personal name, which then moved their borrowing power and significantly decreased it. When I looked at another lender for them to be able to go from five to 10, it was, I was able to go from the borrowing capacity that I had at one lender, which was like $240,000. The next lender I went to, because how they treat, they give you all the interest rate addbacks back. They give you um, they use the actual repayment that you make on your current mortgages plus a percentage buffer. That went from 240 borrowing power to $600,000 borrowing power. Then when I've gone to a, a third lender, because we want to map it out for these guys, we want to, we want, when, when you move in from five to 10, we want to map out how can we do that in an upwards rate in cycle. So we went to another lender where they use the actual repayments you make on your, on your mortgage as the exact liability, which then supercharged the borrowing capacity 
So we had one lender at 240,000, one at 600,000, and this new lender popped in at $1.5 million. <laughs> and I uh, had to slap myself around a little bit going, is this real? Like I called up, called up a couple of friends. I called a couple of colleagues over. I said, check it out. Have I put a zero somewhere? And this is all pre-preparation. This is not me in front of a customer or anything. It's just the research, the preparation that has to go in the back end to make sure that I'm, I'm presenting a good solution in the current climate to help these customers jump up into the goals that they have. I just want to unpack that a little bit more because this is mm. this is where it gets complex. So let, yep. let's go back to our key example here. Let's pretend we've got this single person, $155,000 of income, and they want to borrow a million dollars. But in this example, they've already got a million dollars worth of debt in a trust in this example here. Mm. Some lenders will say, you've already got a million dollars and assess you on that with this policy. But others, based on what you're saying, will say, well, that's a separate entity. We're not going to assess you on that as included. And that would unlock different borrowing outcomes. Is that an accurate yeah. assessment there? With the, with the trust, um, there's a key factor to the trust to be able to get a little bit more um, uh, creative with it. It's called profitability in the trust. So a couple of things that we have to note with a trust is if you buy a property around sort of the towards the end of the financial year, the trust could end up being uh, at a loss because it didn't have a full 12 months to run, depending on what you've invested in the trust. But if you've got a trust that's got a profit um, and you're looking to say, say you've, you've invested in your trust, you've got lots of properties in your trust, you've got lots of lending in your trust, and you now start a family, you now want to have kids, you want to settle down. Um, in in, in uh, examples, it could be um, the wife wants a property, wants a bigger, bigger place for the kids, um, and you want to buy your owner-occupied. If your trust is profitable and there's lots of lending in it, there are lenders that will exclude that debt, exclude everything related to getting uh, to the profitability of the trust. That would then supercharge your borrowing capacity to buy your own house outside of the trust. Um, that would supercharge that side of things. And then how you look at the trust to maximize borrowing capacity without needing to look at your personal side of things, That's that gets a little bit more complicated around the age of the trust, the profitability of the trust, and the type of asset and lending that we're going to go for to be able to maximize and, and ring fence some of the borrowing capacity there to accelerate and get those goals. I, I love this complexity because it's like, imagine just the normal person trying to figure this out. Imagine, <laughs> imagine walking into like ANZ and like <laughs> Commonwealth going, ah, oh, this is how I'm, well, we make the play. comments all the time, right? Team in business, team in uh, mm. investing, like same critical formula, right? If you've got a B player mortgage broker or someone who doesn't really understand this stuff, it'd be so easy for someone to just go, well, the big four wouldn't lend to you. This is all you can get. And you would like write it off. Just go, well, cool. I'm, I'm out of this game I'm, until I'm not- I at another yeah. point. Or walking the, up to you and saying 240000 and saying that's what it is as opposed to like a potential of six hundred or one point five. That's the thing that blows my mind away on this in all honesty is just the, the differential is like the banks are often presented of like, you know, the cash rate is yeah. like what they all do or like <laughs> – and it's like it's, it's, it's just so interesting that like, no, they're individual businesses too. They're completely different. They are. They're trying to play a different game. 
Um, and and that's that's the thing we're seeing we're seeing margins drop now because banks haven't seen the interest rate rises. Um, customers are complaining. Customers are wanting better rates. Customers are wanting wanting that stuff. And and to your point in regards to the differential between banks is that um, we we could have that self employed person. We we're going to start a business. We're going to do a rocket ship. We've we've followed full stack business owner podcast, and we're starting a cool business to be able to help grandmas out with with renovations to a house or we're going to start um, getting some more dashboards and things and we go to the bank we're going to get some money we go to the bank and the bank says no nah, come back in two years cool i'll come back in two years all right i'll come back in two years i've come back in two years i'm here i'm ready to rock let's get some borrowing and they look at your financials and you've got a loss and you've got investment here and you've got this there you needed a car to get around you needed some tools to do something and you're at a loss you don't have any income because you're investing it back into the business because that's what you need to do to keep it going and they say no nah, i can't lend you any money and, and I wonder what it's like to be Aaron, right? I, I was suspect this is a story he sees commonly. <laughs> Here's a hand grenade. Can you just try and put the pin back in it? I've already pulled it out. Just just put the pin back. Where's the pin? I got no idea. Just That's hold right. the grenade. So I'm, I'm curious on this, Aaron. And I'm just going to keep coming back to this million dollar example because I think mm. it is the greatest example. And one point I wanted to ask before was, so we talked about a million dollars at a 3% interest rate. And then if it went from 3% to 4%, I had a nine. I uh, had ninety thousand dollar decrease in my borrowing capacity based on what the banks calculate. What on the other side of it? Imagine I was going to try and earn the difference. How much would I have to earn in order to bring that back to a million bucks? Right. So it's like, great. The bank's going to lend me ninety thousand dollars less. What do I have to earn to make that the same? Um, yeah, well, that's that's a magical question. At the same time, um, we we have this thing called tax here, and if we're using my example before with one hundred fifty five thousand dollars worth of income, we we start to increase that income. We get to this magical thing called one hundred eighty thousand dollars, and in Australia, that is a quite an interesting um, it's a tax special change. number. Did you know yeah. that's my um, lucky number, Aaron? I don't know why. 180, I think it's 183 to be specific. Uh, okay. I think I've got one about 1799999. Um. <laughs> my, my lucky number is just seven. Like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. Uh, this, this is where you change tax brackets. Once you uh, Correct, go yeah, over no. the 180,000 of income, just for everyone else who may not be aware, is I think you go from 33 or 37 cents seven, up to yeah. the um, 44 40, or 49. Or Thanks for anyway. the queue, by the way, Charlie. Continue, Aaron. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so the increase of income may have to be a little bit more exponential than what we think. Um, if the if if the borrowing was if the income was at a hundred and we go to hundred to hundred and ten hundred twenty hundred thirty, it, it's going to maximize your borrowing capacity because you're sitting within that tax bracket. And in the bank's calculators, they they uh, accommodate the tax brackets, Medicare levies, other other factors that come into the the general. Um, tax fear of of a person on their personal income and or business income. Um, so the the calculations would have to be a lot. Probably getting up to the the, the one ninety two hundred to get back that that income. Oh, wow. In this so- case, because we're jumping the tax bracket. So if we weren't trying to jump in the tax bracket, it would probably take a little less than that. that that's interesting because it's for a ninety thousand dollar reduction. I have to increase my earning. By in this example, and approximates, by the way, not perfect signs, by like forty to fifty thousand dollars per year. And just to expand that a little bit more, um, and to keep that that analogy of being the front runner, 
Um, the the example could be that we are, op- are upgrading a home, and we go to CBA and we have a ninety grand um, reduction in borrowing capacity. So if we want to keep heavily investing in our business, growing that platform, we may not be able to afford getting the extra income at the moment. This is where we we, we go to different lenders to be able to achieve the goal, and and everyone has a different different urgency of the goal so other lenders um compared to one lender would probably overcome the need to increase your income all right so i want to keep going with this example Mm. i feel like unpacking this is is keeping it interesting one of the things that comes into this as well is that uh inflation has become a very headline topic in australia and the world i'll say the world and like i'm sure you guys are seeing the same things i'm seeing is like the cost of living is going up Mm. now what I would like to understand, Aaron, is that when you're putting loans through, let's say, this month versus a, a couple of years ago, have the um, assessment of like spending changed to account for this as well? Because I, I look at it now and I think one of, the, one of the most notable ones for us is like, let's say, food. I'm just going to go with that or energy costs. Is that now being factored into loan assessments differently than it was 12 months ago? The short answer is yes. Um, we, we've seen it. We can pick on the lettuce example. The lettuces went up massively and we had a shortage of that. It, it's come back down now. So I swapped to spinach, lettuce. right? I swapped to spinach on this. You swapped to spinach <laughs> or cabbage <laughs> in, a, in, in the KFC area. <laughs> um, but it, it went up and it went down. And, that, and that's quite interesting to, to ponder on. But a lot of, a lot of expenses going up. Um, and you mentioned food and petrol and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and I suppose to, to leverage off other, other episodes, think, think about your own inflation rate. Cause if you don't use petrol, like you don't have to accommodate that. If you don't use lending, you don't have to accommodate that. If you're not renting, you don't have to accommodate that. So think, think about it individualistic. But what are the bank's responses in regards to this? Um, there's a thing called the household expenditure measure. So there's basic benchmarks that the bank says, this is what we typically see across all the people about what's happening to their living costs. And those expenditure measures have increased in the calculators. So the speed at which things are changing in the calculators, so we may not have a rate rise one month. Fingers crossed, maybe that might happen. We don't know. But when we open the calculator today being um, in, in September, and if I open it up tomorrow and the banks decided to adjust their um, household expenditure measures, what passed today could fail tomorrow. And, and that's, that's based on when you're looking at your income. Someone that's earning $90,000 a year is going to have a, a band that's a lower household expenditure measure. Someone that's on um, 180 is going to have a slightly higher expenditure measure. So it's based on the level of the percent. It's like a percentage of your income um, and the family income. And then, then, the, the children factor, then if your partner doesn't work factor or they do work, that all comes into how the, um, the household expenditure measure comes in. There have been some lenders up, uh, up until recently that used to use the, 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 the poverty index or the Henderson poverty index, which is probably a technical term, but it was the one before the household expenditure and that was a fixed rate. The house expenditure is variable according to your income. 
trying not to get too technical, but it's great. A fixed no, I rate appreciate is it. Great. I think this is filling in a lot of gaps for me, right? Coming back to this conversation with my buyer's agent is going, well, I, I really want to bring this here. If someone is in a situation where, let's say, in the next 12 months, they're really looking to do some borrowing for whatever reason, investing, PPRs, like their equipment, plant, who knows, right? Everyone's uh, needs are unique. But if I'm looking at this and I'm going, well, my opinion, and this is just my opinion, is rates are going to go up. Inflation is just going to keep happening. I look at what I would have to potentially earn to keep up my borrowing power based on what you've mentioned before. Is this something where people may, and I'll say maybe because this is not personalised advice, but they should really consider borrowing more quickly and getting ahead of it now versus doing it, let's say, in this example, 12 months from now? Uh, Absolutely. This is the perfect time to be talking about this. Um, Obviously, yesterday's already done, so today is the best day to talk about it. Um, There is a a sense that property prices are going down. Um, We we aren't seeing it everywhere. Um, That's a it's probably a gross generalization, but in the same breath, we're also seeing borrowing power go down, as we've we've outlined. So. Even if, let's take a major city, if, if the property prices go down by 2.5% per month and our borrowing capacity drops by 9% every time the rate goes up, even though we could get a cheaper house, we probably can't borrow the money anymore. So that's if you're looking at opportunistic investing there. If you're going down the path of how can you get the money right now? I've got many examples of customers that we have got their loans formally approved, loan documents issued, everything's great, and then they 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 slightly change their goal. They want more money. They want to go interest only. They want to change something in it. And if we actually changed it after it's been approved, it would be assessed with another rate rise. They won't be able to get the same money they got before. And even though they have to pay the new interest rate, which is what happens, the interest rate doesn't affect you until settlement, they still wouldn't get the money. And if it's a purchase and a contractual obligation and they tell us to go change it, we could interrupt the loan flow. And we don't want to act in we, – we want to keep contracts in play, not, not have them um, fall over. So you, you've got to be careful what you can borrow last month, this month, um, is going to be different in the future. And what the banks do, they all treat this ruling differently. So if I submit a loan today, it doesn't mean that the assessment rate that I'm assessed on is going to be today. Some banks will keep the assessment rates, and and this is probably another question that you guys ask me, they'll keep the amount of money they have at the time of um, putting an application in, or some of them don't allow, they, they will reassess it at new rates up until it's been approved up until it's been conditionally approved, up until it's been um, pre-approved. Um, some may even want to check your credit files and assessments before settlement. So we've got to, uh, in, in, in my firm, we've got to monitor and track all that so that we're not going to put our clients at, at risk if, if something's going to fall over like contract or something like that. But the, the answer is if you don't borrow now and the rate goes up, you're going to have less money. It's interesting because I actually think that you and I ran through this, Aaron, in a previous yep. place that we bought for me, where it was just like, and a rate rise, and a rate rise. And I'm like, oh, man. But it was great. It was just like, yep, cool, no problems, no problems. And I'm sure you had to deal with all the paperwork on the other side. Mm-hmm. So looking at this kind of environment that we're in, like obviously um, there's all this tightening on lending where people's borrowing capacity is 
decreasing interest rates are going up. I probably tend to agree with Charlie, where this is my personal opinion. I do think that interest rates are going to go up and inflation is going to stay sort of where it is at at the moment. Like, how do you see, because you've got this unique advantage where you live and breathe this every single day and you are in the weeds. It's almost like this insider secrets on it. Like, how do you think all of this environment of high interest rates and tight lending is going to impact things on like the bigger picture? Um, well, we've... Uh, I- <laughs> As we said, we, we're, we're decreasing. If our income stays the same, um, I, I think we're going to see borrowing power will fall down, 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 down. But I think we're seeing in the market people getting hungry for things. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of business owners and um, just increase their incomes. Able As I'm starting to see 2022 tax returns, they have even more income than they've had for the previous year. And some of the, these are long-term clients of mine, and you can see if, if I pulled it out and tracked the trend, their their income's going up. So some of that is going to overcome any of the future rate rises and changes in living and inflation and all that stuff for people to keep going. Um, I did a little spot check in the office with what was happening with the brokers and where where are the purchases and where are the refinances. So in an upwards interest rate cycle and the doom and gloom might go, oh, we've got to restructure, we've got to reset loan terms and we've got to decrease interest rates and all that other stuff. We're just going to do refinances, buckle down the hatches, close it all in, go in the bomb shadow and see what happens at the other end. Well, we're actually that seeing- is the exact conversation I had with Bianca. <laughs> it's like doomsday plan. Let's get this in play. You're in the bomb shelter, aren't you, Charlie? <laughs> I'm recording from the bomb shelter right now. Yeah. And and um and we found that was a fifty fifty mix across the across the brokers. It was fifty percent purchases, fifty percent refinances at this point in time. And it's amazing how many people are actually wanting to purchase right now. Yeah, that was the uh, interesting part of the conversation with my buyer's agent as well. Is like investor demand is still incredibly strong. I, I must ex- uh, admit, I kind of thought I was talking at it with him at a time where there's probably not as many buyers. It might be a great time to be a buyer. Turns out there's still a lot of buyers out there. It, it seems that uh, in this environment, it hasn't turned people off as much as I thought it would. So interesting insight there, Aaron. Did you, is that what you would actually expected? Do you expect this to continue? Is there any signs of it slowing down? Like from a borrowing uh, position right now, like are there any indicators you're looking at that would have you, I suppose, view things differently or change your opinion here? Um, well, a couple of things to reveal. We, we're, we've increased staff levels to accommodate demand in, in my firm. Um, I do breathe and live borrowing every day. So the product that I sell is, is debt. So that's, that's the mechanism that I breathe in and out every day and I specialize in. So I, I haven't seen a drop in demand. I've seen an increase. Um, and I suppose the only warning of that is that if I've increased staff, um, you build it, they'll come. So if you take the business aspect versus the market aspect, uh, I've, I've built up. So I'm seeing a lot more demand because I've got more people, more faces everywhere, more faces out there. So it's a bit hard to put a, a measure just for me uh, on the market because there's a bucket load of loans that goes through the system. I think up, at, up to December 2021, I think there was over $60 billion of loans changed around in three months. So um, if I'm not doing $60 billion in a quarter, which I'd love to do, uh, my, the market effect is probably not going to affect me, but um, I think there there is some um, buyer apathy, um, and what I mean by that, the buyers are trying to hold on for a, a drop in the price, 
getting a bit advantageous, trying to get ahead of themselves. And they're not really understanding if you look under the hood of the borrowing capacity is that what you can borrow today, you can't borrow in the future. So even if the price goes down to the house, you might have a hundred grand gap to make up versus locking it in at the million bucks, for example, getting the rental income off it if it's an investment or having a place to stay if it was the ideal place for you to stay with the backyard and the kids and all that idealistic stuff. But you, you, you wait and the price goes down, you get a good bargain potentially, but you can't borrow the money you did before. That's so interesting. I'll, I'll share another insight. Basically, since interest rate rises started, business has boomed for us. It seems that the general attitude of the business owners within my network and industry has been that I'm going to out-earn this and like mm. business activity has gone up immensely. We've also had uh, way more like hiring people. Like it's amazing the quality of applications who want jobs and want to work has gone through. Like I'm certainly noticing the impact. And then um, Grant and I went out for dinner on a Monday night uh, locally <laughs> in my area. Full house. It was packed. It was packed. And, and, and it like, wasn't a tight ass Tuesday or anything. Like it was like there was no specials <laughs> on that board. It was you paying full price when you're coming in. Like, and I, I actually wanted to be there on a Monday night so it would be quiet, so we could have you know a more intimate <laughs> setting. Like, I'm oh like, my gosh. <laughs> anyway, but like it, it's just fascinating, like that. Um, you know what you may perceive in the media isn't necessarily what is actually happening on the ground level in many aspects. There, it's very very oh, fascinating. I, I think you're correct. Out out earning it becomes part of the key conversation I have with the clients. What is the variability you have to, to run a longer race? Um, is it that you're on a fixed income and you need the rent to be variability? And that's a whole whole nother game. Like the, the amount of rent rises that I'm seeing that are in three digits, like $100 a week, $85 a week. So one at 200 when the leases come expiring and they reset to market, holy moly, the, the rent rises to be able to go on the income side of people's borrowing capacity is amazing at the moment. Now, poor old renters out there, or maybe it's positive because their borrowing capacity has a fixed amount of money that goes on as an expense or a liability. Um, that's a really interesting one. Outpacing the income in, in the businesses and seeing these 2022 start to come through with phenomenal incomes that... Um, they haven't achieved before or even the most recency looking at um, a lot of the meetings that I do is with clients and their accountants um, is is where, where's the trajectory going? What's What's been the interim financials? If you haven't done 2022 yet because it's still very close to the end of the financial year, 2021 was okay, obviously. What the management accounts that we're getting, getting at the moment are, are, are phenomenal. Businesses are, are wanting to outpace this. Um, you, you just got to be careful some of the things around the goals and the borrowing capacities and 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 how you're going to declare things and a whole range of other things but and which calculators we're going to do what's the strategy how to get the the, the next three or four properties out and and I, I think it's an exciting time versus a, a boring time you could say or media push around time well what's interesting is once again having a great business seems to trump most Always. things. <laughs> it, I, I just I keep coming back to it is that the idea of uh, having a strong business and pairing it up with a strong investment strategy and team and all those things uh, can just make such a huge difference. It really, really can. Now I am going to wrap this episode up, Aaron. It's been incredibly insightful. I think I've learned more than I've spoken, and you will see. I'm actually worried about watching the recording for this one because my my face turned from like host to like, 
I didn't know that. Yeah. So, so uh, starting to like consume. Yeah, I'm like, oh, that's right. I'm actually here Wait, to uh, like do for the audience. So, guys, thank you for tuning in. So, I am going to wrap this one up. Um, Aaron, before we do, for people that have probably gone, ooh, I better check my borrowing. Ooh, I better check my loans and what I'm actually going around now. What's the best way for people to get in contact with you? Oh, the, the best way is go over to the fullstackbusinessowner.com, go into the partners page, and you'll find um, diagnostics and finance there. Put your details in. It's the best way not only to consume all the other information on the podcast, but jump in, get your borrowing power set up today and get get your goals set so that we can model it out and you can achieve the next purchases that you need and um, move forward from there. Thank you for coming on once again, Aaron. I will wrap this one up from here. Thank you so much for tuning in, guys. That's it for this episode.